0: Here again with another episode of Tales from Southern Indiana, um, the uh, the current uh, and thankful changes in the country with respect to awareness of uh, s- uh, systemic racism and um, uh, also the uh, support for nationwide protests with respect to um, to the abuses of, uh, of police uh, toward uh, um, citizens of color. Uh, has been uh, something that I'm glad I've seen in my lifetime, um, because in part, where I grew up in southern Indiana, there really was quite a long tradition of uh, racism and uh, um, and uh, uh, harmful, certainly harmful conduct in the development of, of attitudes that were extremely unhelpful for the country. Um, but the um, as I was looking back. There were a couple of things that I noted uh, in some of the old papers and uh, one of them was a persistence of a reference to the KKK in headlines in the local paper but as you read the paper they were not referring to the Ku Klux Klan they were they were referring to the Tri Kappa chapter house apparently a uh, a service sorority for uh, for grown-ups and the headlines would include things like um, um couples dance at holiday ball annual event sponsored by kkk Um, kkk um, decorations for christmas drive and then one of my favorites is um the pledge service for new members of the kkk uh, which said in the story that refreshments of cake individually decorated with kkk nuts were served by the committee members, and I expect they were. Um, now the truth, of course, of the history of uh, uh, of uh, Indiana generally is that, of course, in the early part of the 20th century, it was perhaps the state most heavily uh, or effectively controlled politically by the real Klan. And um, when I was growing up there in, uh, in the 60s, there was a persistence of a Klan presence. It was pretty small. Um, there was a Klan march through Main Street that had, I think, about five Klansmen, and maybe a hundred state police companies. And there was a uh, <laughs> there was a, a fellow who ran for city council a long time ago, um, I guess in the late '70s, and he felt the need to take out an advertisement to explain why he had been wearing a Klan robe on Main Street um, somewhat recently, and he. Felt like he was being misjudged here, uh, and so and that there was a good explanation for it. So he explained that he was very concerned about a proposed law that would, he thought, take away the rights of citizens to assemble more than seven persons in a group on the city sidewalk. And of course, in in my hometown, assembly on the city sidewalk was pretty important. A lot of the old uh, retired farmers would gather on the corners and. Uh, had an interesting way of clearing congestion in their in their uh, sinuses. Um, and otherwise, uh, there were just um, all sorts of gatherings. I mean, the sidewalk was a place where people really did converge, but never heard of this particular kind of concern. But he said that I felt that that kind of law was unconstitutional, but the only ones protesting the bill were the Klan. So I agreed to put on a Klan uniform and walk on the sidewalk for two hours uh, to protest against the bill so you may keep your freedoms. Um, I can honestly say that I am not a member of the Klan and I do not have any malice in my heart uh, against African-Americans and mentions that he has hunted with African-Americans. This is the kind of thing people would often say to excuse their racist beliefs. Um, And at any rate, uh, apparently it was almost just by happenstance that he had a, a Klan robe on. Um, now, in the history of my part of the state, which was, a, as we've talked before, a limestone quarry, uh, a sort of center of that type of industry for the entire country, in the early part of the 20th century there was uh, an influx of Italian uh, stoneworkers, uh, craftsmen and, uh, and laborers, to supply labor for the limestone quarries, which were operating pretty much at full blast at various times in that, that part of, the, uh, of our history. And there were a lot of articles about violence between uh, Italian quarry workers and the folks who were uh, descended from the original white settlers. And you have to kind of read between the lines because a lot of the stories simply talked about the violence. Here's, a, here's one that says, uh, war at uh, Sanders, which was one of the quarry settlements where uh, African, African, not African American, Italians uh, had, had started, and it says "blind tiger booze and a few bad men mixed." Someday there will be murder, and it apparently described an assault by a number of the whites up a hill um, to try to uh, to take. Uh, some sort of control uh, of this particular area and what the folks liked to do in the local papers back then apparently was write a considerable amount of detail about injuries and things like this and so it had a list among folks who were shot or otherwise injured one person hit in the back of the head with a rock another one stabbed in the arm by someone they said manipulating a knife I suppose they would have been and then uh, Gibb McDonald had his shoelace shot into. I'm not sure what the qualification for getting listed in the paper for various injuries is to have your shoelace shot into, but perhaps there was a perhaps there was a great shortage in shoelaces and so it mattered more than it might now. And then a fellow named Wallace had the heel of his shoe shot off. Now I can understand that if his heel was in the shoe and his heel was shot off, But if it was just the shoe, uh, again, perhaps there were no shoemakers uh, in the area and one had to sort of suffice with one pair of shoes for a major portion of their life. I I have no idea. And then finally, Charles Fulford was chased away from his home. One wonders if the folks living at his home perhaps were glad that he was chased away. Who knows? Um, But it talks about how there really was sort of a history of violence here and Then there were other articles that, one that talks about Italians departing because of scarcity of work. Um, Some 50 Italians living at Reed Station, which was another settlement uh, of Italian workers, have returned to their homes in sunny Italy. And one suspects as we walk through our little articles here that they perhaps did not leave because they were missing sunny Italy. Um, an article in my home paper from 1908 talks about an effort, a concern, to try to take action about what it says the effort that is being made to frighten the Italian laborers from the quarry districts, and indicating that the folks there were receiving letters that have been sent to some of the Italians at Reed Station, warning them to leave and threatening dire things if they do not go. And so, and there were dire things article in 1914 from um, the paper in the county seat, the headline being, Gunfight at Ulytic. My grandfather was uh, a longtime resident of Ulitic, a tiny little town. It says, uh, it's, it's Italian quarry workers, open feud that has been smoldering for months. And the description here also gets relatively graphic um, and, and, and at I point, silly. Uh, the one individual that had been, uh, uh, folks had been lying in wait for four Italians, and they struck one individual on the head with something, knocking him to the ground. His hat is being held as evidence by the prosecutor because it has a couple of indentations on the side that indicate the above statement is true. Uh, okay. Um, not much by way of forensic uh, uh, technique or technology back then. Probably, uh, the ladies and gentlemen, of the jury, I show you this hat. You notice that it's not pristine and that the indentation corresponds to something that might have hit someone on the head, uh, the specifics of which we do not know uh, are do imagine. And so, and there's a description of what really sounds like a, a western town shootout. Romano and Letera are said to have attacked Ralph Toby with revolvers, but Toby proved their master in quickness and fired a bullet into Letera's body, that entered the right side and ranged upward, passing out near the shoulder. Well, like you know, always good to have these specifics of these of these injuries that uh, allow us to visualize what may happen, be happening in the actual melee. Uh, the um, Sometimes these, these descriptions were disturbingly graphic. But at any rate, so what, what it was depicted is what I had heard growing up as a, uh, a really a history of violent conflict based on economic competition between Italian immigrants who were working in the limestone quarries and the white settlers or their descendants who were there and somehow felt that they should have, I guess, all the jobs even though they couldn't fill all of the jobs. and. Um, there used to be, early in the century, I'm talking 1910, 1920, maybe 1890, a business of uh, writing histories of 10 years of very small communities. And, um, and the, there would be books and they'd be published with the history of X county for 1900 to 1910. And these would be apparently sold door to door. I, I found several of these examples of these uh, in a library once, and I'm not sure now how to how to find them again. But one of them described um, what basically was part of the northern migration of, of African Americans from the South uh, at one point to a place in my home Kent, actually in the near the town my mother was born, where. Uh, an African-American settlement, temporary, um, was able to be established because there was an Amish community there, and the Amish, of course, were not as likely to be violent, I think, toward African-Americans even then as as now. And um, ironically, there were no Amish folks when I lived uh, in my county growing up, but at some point, a number did move in, I I guess perhaps because the, the land for farming was so cheap. And the soil not all that good for farming and they established a community which anybody could go into uh, and, and had little stores and looked like you were walking back into the 19th century there was a tannery uh, there was a general store that sold sheets of, uh, of, of linen or whatnot they were on big rolls and various kinds of homeopathic medicines and uh, really was really was quite quite something um, but at any rate the uh, the prejudice with respect to Italians certainly persisted for decades because when I was a kid growing up, when uh, President Kennedy was elected, there was quite a bit of talk about among folks, and it was absolutely nutty talk, about folks who apparently believed that a, um, that the Washington DC, the capital, was surrounded by a ring of Catholic churches, each of which had hidden major uh, dangerous implements of, of war. And that uh, the uh, inauguration would be a time when the Catholics would take over America. Uh, Indiana had, uh, you know, these are sad traditions. Um, it is amazing how they did persist. There was a lot of um, uh, of resentment, and I think, in, maybe in my family, uh, with respect to um, even you know dating and marrying uh, uh, folks who were of Italian descent and um, thankfully that's that has passed uh... as far as i believe and and it's passed you know because of a lot of good things that have happened all across uh... the country for all the bad things that and continue to happen here I, that's one thing that i can be i can be grateful for and i'm also certainly grateful that i did not live uh... in the times of the wild west that are described in some of these articles but it's fascinating to read about well, again, thanks so much for listening, and uh, take care, and uh, and be in good health. I'll talk to you later.